0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. Suddenly, with the improving economy, recruiting's on the front burner again. Organizations from all types of industries are experiencing difficulty hiring workers and at all levels. For some guidance on how to kickstart your recruiting, we've asked Artie Nathan to join us. Artie is the principal of strategic development worldwide and also serves as a Hope for Prisoners board member. He served as chief human resources officer for Steve Wynn's gaming companies from 1983 to 2006 and opened all of Wynn's casinos in Atlantic City, Las Vegas, Mississippi, and China. He retired from the gaming industry in 2006 and moved to Southern California to open the resort at Pelican Hill. In 2013, he returned to Las Vegas, where he's engaged with several startups and provides advisory services to companies interested in optimizing their human capital. Artie... Welcome to HR Works. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. So, when you're deciding what to look for in a candidate, what's your priority? Do you look for attitude or skills or education or what?
1: I think initially, candidates who go through human resources should be screened for attitude only. Uh, in, in all the work that I've done over the years, and I hired more than 125,000 people from uh, close to 4 million applications. Uh, We, in human resources, screened every one of those people, and we screened them for attitude only. We knocked out about uh, 28% of the people who didn't have the attitude that we were looking for. And then uh, we leave a pool of candidates that are available to the hiring manager and they look for uh skills and education and those other things that are appropriate to the job level but we in human resources make sure that the person or the candidates with the right attitudes are the only ones they get to interview
0: so well that seems to make sense to me when um one of the biggest mistakes that recruiters and uh, hiring managers make is not clearly defining what they're looking for. How do you suggest uh, they go about figuring out what's right for their organizations?
1: It's not a simple task. It took me years to figure out exactly what we were looking for in the service business. So the gaming business the hospitality business is part of the service sector of the economy. And We studied this long and hard. We looked at a lot of other sectors and what they look for. And it has to be an immutable skill, something that the candidate has when they walk in the door that cannot be trained. And if they have it good, if they don't have it, you have to have the discipline to screen them out. And we took a great deal of time figuring out what that was for the service sector in general and our business in particular.
0: So, once you know that, then what sort of tests or other selection techniques do you recommend for finding out if candidates have the characteristics you're looking for?
1: Well, I appreciate that you didn't ask what the, the attitude or the, the, <laughs> the immutable thing was that we look for. Uh, basically, we look for people who like to be interrupted. <laughs> and we came to that after studying our, our business and what goes on with the people and our customers. And frankly, in the service industry, uh, you get interrupted by customers all day long, and you have to be thrilled about that. You have to react and respond positively. And we kind of boiled that down and defined it as general optimism. And we had two different tests. We we worked with a uh, an organizational psychologist who could uh, define and create a simple test for general optimism, It's 15 questions, and it's validated, but my test actually, it was kind of weird, I used a handshake, I interrupted people while they were uh, not expecting it, and I introduced myself, and I saw how they reacted and responded to that, and frankly, uh, the number of people who got screened in or out percentage-wise was exactly the same with My handshake test is with the validated uh, paper and pencil written test that the psychologist had developed.
0: So people can try the uh, handshake interrupting test. So um, we hear a lot about the role of social media in hiring today. How do you recommend uh, using social media for hiring?
1: First off, I, I think that the question can be broken down into two components. The methodology, I think using mobile devices is critical today, and I think using some of the applications that apply to mobile devices like Skype or uh, FaceTime or something like that, I think that gives you a great opportunity to screen or meet more people almost face-to-face or virtual face-to-face, and I think that's important. The social media I think that's a, still a moving target. I know a lot of people use LinkedIn and a growing number of people use Facebook. Um, and I think people using WhatsApp. I think all of those things are interesting. I think that uh, promoting your brand through social media and seeing how many people you can uh, attract through social media is very important. I think. Certainly it has replaced the newspapers, you know. I think it is replacing the, the job boards. I think static job boards without any of the bells and whistles that allow people to interact are, are just not as robust. So I think that the social media is going to be an increasingly important component of recruiting, but I think that there are people using Facebook today in very clever ways and I know that people have used LinkedIn for many years. I did the, the passive searching, the, uh, the way to, to search their database is very, very impressive. But I, I think it's, it's still evolving. But I think it's got to be based on uh, using mobile devices. That's how people interact today.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you. Now, you advocate um, thinking outside the box when you're recruiting. So what outside-the-box trends and techniques have you seen? What what options are available, and how do you take advantage of them?
1: Well, I think the traditional best option has always been asking current employees if they have family and friends that they'd like to recommend. That's a referral that is almost... churches where I went to the, uh, the ministers and I said look you must have people in your congregation incarceration. And I think that that is becoming an unbelievable source for companies that are open to considering it and getting help in figuring out how to maximize their opportunities with it. Uh, you mentioned that I was on the board of Hope for Prisoners. That's a Las Vegas nonprofit that has been very successful in training and placing uh, recently released a uh, Ex-offenders and people who have earned the right—well, they have served their time, and if they earned the right to a second chance, I think that we in the employment world should give them an opportunity. It has to be one that is very controlled in the in the beginning, so that companies and hiring managers and supervisors uh, gain their confidence in dealing with a group like this. And it's not that these people are all that different. It's just that they have very little experience and, and confidence with them. But we have seen some extraordinary results. You figure that someone who, who has earned a second chance and doesn't want to blow that second chance, they're highly motivated. You know an awful lot about them if you're a hiring manager or a recruiter because the, the prison system and the, the people like us who, who help them to transition have a lot of information about them, and uh, organizations like ours present, present them with uh, a whole host of mentoring support that helps them and helps the prospective employer. But this person, uh, if they get a job, they will. we have found, and, and we do research with the University of Nevada, uh, they have found that these people are never late for work, they never take a day off, and they never say no because they're so afraid of uh, not making the most of this second chance. This is one of those things that most of the companies and recruiters I talk to, their eyes get very wide when I tell them this. But uh, people worry about negligent hiring, people worry about well, what if they uh, do something, what if they steal from me or buy in the workplace. But I will tell you that someone who has served their time, and they go through a uh, uh, complete vetting. I mean, uh, you know more about these people than you know through your general background checks of the general applicants that you're hiring. So uh, this is one of those ultimate recruiting sources that is very surprising. Uh, I was lucky. I got into it. I backed into it working for Wynn. We we were asked by a, a local uh, politician to consider one of his constituents. And the guy was an ex-gang banger, and it was uh, frightening. We didn't know anything about it. But because this guy came along with a lot of support and mentoring, uh, it, that one example became a good role model for others. And other managers started looking at this and saying, that's pretty cool. And over time, we hired hundreds of women and that's how I got experience with this. And now working with this nonprofit, uh, we're doing it on a, on a broader scale here in Southern Nevada. And we're also starting to teach uh, communities across the U.S. Uh, how to operate a model like ours in other communities. And this is going to be a growing thing. I was in Iowa uh, over the summer Iowa has about a 3% unemployment rate, believe it or not, and they are out of applicants. They, you know, the war for talent is, is stalling out because they don't get people applying, and I have to tell you, they're looking at this group of men and women, and the number of people in jail and the number of people getting out of incarceration every day, every month, every year, it's a huge population, and it's one that we should look at it I just think this is another area of diversity that we need to get more experience in. Uh, over the years, and I've been doing this a long time, diversity has taken on a number of rooks and fields, and most companies had to figure out how to make the most of it. And whether it was with uh, race or age or gender, uh, those were interesting and actually easier than what we're seeing now with things like ex-offenders. Um, I just think it's a, it's a fascinating opportunity that I'm an advocate for.
0: So the ex-offenders, uh, they might turn out to be your best applicants, and, and you're recommending that employers hook up with support services, uh, that that will help their success rate in hiring.
1: Yes, Um, Look, uh, being frank about this, if people were to hire um, an uh, ex-drug addict or alcoholic, most would encourage them to continue with alcoholics or or, uh, anonymous or programs like that. That's a support system. And nonprofits like Hope for Prisoners has looked at those kinds of programs and seen that their greatest success comes with the mentors, the people that stand by them and are there to help them and answer questions for them or answer questions for their prospective employers. And when that happens, uh, companies get a great deal of support in making sure that their new hires are successful as a recruiter, as a, as a chief human resources officer, I used to look at the number of people who turned over in the first 30 or 90 days. You know, we spend a lot of time and money and, and energy uh, recruiting and onboarding and, and training and getting people up to speed, but uh, if if there isn't sufficient support to, to calm them down and get them uh more attached to the the new organization, your chance of turnover goes up. And so I just think that uh, what Hope for Prisoners does, or organizations like ours, uh, providing these mentors is a great assist. And that's why this group of people turns out to be so extraordinarily successful in employment. Now, the other question that people get around to asking as they learn more about this is uh, what's the rate of recidivism? You know, the number of people that go back to jail who've gotten out in general is in the high 70% rate. Uh, it's a it's a staggering number, and it's a problem for society and communities and families. Uh, programs like Hope for Prisoners, their recidivist rate is 6%, and it all has to do with this long-term mentoring. Um, and... Uh, recidivism or the number, of, the number of drug addicts who fall off the wagon or alcoholics who fall off the wagon uh, goes up dramatically if they don't have a support system in place. Uh, this is not much different. It's just that uh, most of us in our minds, I think of ex-offenders and we get scared because we don't know much about them or life in that world. Uh, but you find out more and more that this group of people can be very Very good for employment, and you know, I think it's about forty-five percent of the people in jail are there for non-violent crimes, drug crimes, DUIs, all kinds of crazy things. Uh, So you don't have to worry about them being violent or um, or stealing or something like that. Uh, But anybody who gets out of jail who's earned that second chance, who wants that second chance, they are highly motivated, and. If the system is in place to help them uh, keep continuing down that path and and making the most of that second chance, uh, it can be a a great new employee. And this is, I think, a new frontier for recruiters.
0: Well, it's great work that you're doing there with Hope for Prisoners, and uh, and I think this is a great uh, idea for every hiring manager. Now, earlier you mentioned. Uh, people with disabilities and military coming off active duty. Have you had experience with uh, hiring people from those groups?
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I, I mean, we think sometimes that people with disabilities may not be able to do the job as we're looking at it. But I think that the, the law, the ADA, asking for reasonable accommodations has shown us all that there's far more opportunity than we might ever expect. I mean, I hired uh, a fellow who was visually impaired. He had retinitis pigmentosa, and he wanted to be in the front office in the the room reservations area, and he told us about software that would help. And the managers were afraid because they didn't have any experience with this. And I think that um, the advocate groups that support the disabled uh, are, are there to help managers understand the opportunities. This young guy, uh, because he, he wasn't, he didn't have sight, he wasn't looking around, he wasn't paying attention to anything but his work, and he was three times more productive, we found, than other people in the room, and the, the hiring manager came back to me and said, I hope you have more of those kinds of people. <laughs> uh, so I think that disabled is great. I think that The veterans today uh, are a great group of of applicants that we have to take advantage of, but we have to understand their background. We have to understand what they bring to the job and what experiences they've had in the past and how we can integrate them and support them as they get into the world of work that's non-military. I know that there's a a lot of companies that have done a great job with this, and some have have challenges with it because, again, their managers may not be aware of how to get the most motivation out of any one of these groups of alternate recruits, uh, not just veterans. But I think training for managers, training for hiring managers is available, and companies should take full advantage of that because it's not that managers know how to situationally manage best and if we don't provide them with those skills and that understanding, I think that we do them a disservice and the potential employees a disservice.
0: Well, this is great. I um, I think this is very helpful for everybody. I want to move one step farther along the process now because um, doing a great job of hiring doesn't mean much if you don't retain a new employee. So let's talk a little bit. Do you have tips for people about... Uh, how to work on long-term engagement and retention?
1: The two things that I've always advocated and were very successful for the companies I worked in, you have to catch people doing things right. I think that most managers spend a great deal of time compliance-oriented looking and reacting to things that might be not quite right or wrong. Uh, And we have to spend our energy doing that, but we also have to balance that out with catching people doing things right. And if we do that more often than not, then those behaviors become the ones that we reinforce, and people respond to that. And I think that's very important when you're looking at retention in the rail. I think the other thing that that works for uh, me and is very important is explaining why. I think that people, certainly adults, need to understand why, need to understand the context of things. Uh, We just can't give them instructions. Look, I'm old enough to remember when people uh, never question anything, and that may or may not have been a better time, but certainly today, not that they question so much, but they really wanna understand the context of things. And managers have to be encouraged to do that, Uh, I think managers have to be more skilled and maybe better trained at communications, at coaching, and those are the things that help people to feel better about where they're working, better about themselves. And if they have those things and they trust the organization, and if they trust the organization and their managers, chances are they'll stick around, and that helps retention. I think engagement comes most from asking people their input. Tell me what you think. Tell me how can we, we be better. Give me your feedback. I'm not sure that companies maximize their opportunities in that regard. And that kind of engagement, because people now feel like they matter, like what they say and what they do or what they think is important, that's highly critical to them and their engagement. And i you know, everybody's worried about millennials today, but millennials just want to be heard. Millennials want want to be engaged, so you have to create that environment where they can be. And you can't be afraid of them getting more and more engaged. And that challenges the whole notion of,
0: Tips: Catch people doing something right. I wrote that down. I like that a lot. Um, how about the specific uh, moment of onboarding a new employee and welcoming them into the company? Any tips for that?
1: I ask companies all the time: uh, Do you have an orientation process? And they say yes, but it's not on the first day. It's you know, because they start people all over the time, you know, all over the clock and the calendar. And I said, well, why don't you just have orientation every Monday and you, re- you require people to start all at once every week. Could be one person, it could be multiple people. I always worried as a, as a CHRO that after the first day, people go home and the, the three words that I worried about the most were, how was it? and you know, their, their family, their friends, they all ask, how was it? And unless people are, are motivated to say, that was pretty good. So you, it means you have to have it planned, it has to be organized, it has to be together, and it should be fun but informative. It should be thoughtful of their needs. It should be important enough that you spend but don't waste any of their time. And so uh, onboarding or orientation is so critical. Don't waste, don't waste their time and then provide them with adequate training to do their job. Don't don't pass them off to a buddy who's untrained or doesn't know exactly what to tell them so it's maybe inconsistent with what other buddies might tell them. I think that that, that first day and that first week are so critical to making them feel comfortable, making them feel like they made the right choice. Look, people people hate change. They change a job. That's a huge thing. And even if they hated their last job, at least they knew it. And they were comfortable with whatever was going on there. Uh, You have to make people so comfortable very quickly. That's critical. You know, all the years that I worked for Steve Wynn, my job was opening the big hotels. And we would start. Those are all important. But how do we treat them face-to-face, person-to-person? That's what people like, and especially these millennials. Even though we think that they're sitting in their room playing video games, these are people that like to be social. They like to feel like they're part of something. And companies have to spend more time and energy in making sure that people feel like they're part of something that they're proud of.
0: Well, this is all... Great stuff that we're getting. I really appreciate it. To sum it all up, any particular points you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: business or the HR business, I think we have to be more focused on turnover and the reasons for turnover. The voluntary turnover, if they're going from one job to another similar job across the street, we've got to be concerned about that. And uh, I think putting ourselves in other people's shoes uh, is so important. And when we do that, we start to understand what they see, how they feel, and how they're motivated. And Turnover for me, look. The service industry has huge turnover, uh, yeah, upwards of more than fifty percent in some cases, eighty or a hundred percent in the hospitality or the restaurant business. My job was to get it down, and I, I was always around ten or twelve percent with the strategies that I'm suggesting today. Uh, and <laughs> not surprisingly, the the ex offenders that I hired, they had the lowest turnover because they were so grateful for that second chance. and they did everything they could not to screw up that second chance, that they, they stayed around and they did very well. Um, I think you got to be very creative and thoughtful as a human resources professional or a talent acquisition and management professional today. And you got to look at all your opportunities and options and then just try to do the best you can.
0: I think every listener today got a lot of great uh, ideas from you. So uh, thanks so much for joining us today and providing all these helpful tips.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for asking.
0: Listeners, please let me know what HR Works should cover next. Sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. Join Artie at BLR's Thrive 2017 Annual Conference being held this May in Las Vegas. BLR's Thrive Annual Conference offers two days of dynamic sessions, intensive workshops, and inspirational Thrive Talks to empower HR business leaders to become agents of positive change for their organizations and give their strategic skill set a competitive boost. Artie will be presenting the Thrive Talk entitled, When to Backburner the Background Check. Rethinking Your Employment Screening Strategy. To learn more about BLR's Thrive 2017 Annual Conference, visit thrivelive.blr.com. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.